It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's welcome and sermon are pre-recorded. Psalm 145 I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They shall speak of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he's made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, who are bowed down. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Speak praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is Jesus. It's his character. Jesus is who he says he is. He fulfills his promises. Jesus is good to you. When you stand and cry out to Jesus, he's right there. And when you walk in fear, in a reverent fear with God, he will save you. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, what you're doing is you're agreeing to go on a journey with him. The journey that we've talked about many times comes from Pilgrim's Progress to the celestial city, to heaven. Each and every one of us is in a different place in our walk with Jesus. Whether you're in the beginning or you've been following Jesus for a long time, Go back to the beginning, and it was there that Jesus was calling you. And it was there that it was probably very, very exciting, not knowing exactly what was going to come next. Starting a completely new life as a new creature in Christ, 
But as time has gone by, there's still that excitement, but sometimes it seems as if it's dwindled a little bit, maybe because of hardships that have come, suffering, where you've been called to a time of waiting in the desert and going to the cross just as Jesus did. But amidst this time of waiting, which you very well may be in right now, will you trust Jesus to take you wherever he desires to take you? Even, especially, if it's somewhere you wouldn't go on your own. All at the same time, fully believing and trusting that Jesus is right here. The God who keeps his promises. He's the one who's near when you call on him. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that loves you more than anything or anyone. Jesus will literally move heaven and earth. He will answer your cry and deliver you as you take a stand for him and do what we've talked about many times here. Take a stand for Jesus and do not turn away from him. No matter how ramped up that pain is, no matter if tomorrow looks like death and destruction, no matter what the reality of your marriage is right now, what the reality of your health is right now, what the reality of your financial situation is, Nothing is impossible for him. So don't turn away, but instead face him. Deal to the bottom with your sin. Deal to the bottom with your fear. Deal to the bottom with your pain. And he will move in your life. Because he is alive. He is real. He will move beyond anything you could have ever imagined. Just think back to all the times that it seemed impossible, and then suddenly Jesus came. And if you're in that place right now today, don't forget about all that has happened before. Don't forget about where you were before you came to Jesus, how pitiful it was, how terrifying it was, how empty it was, And he called you, and you're here for a reason. And he will come again. He is coming. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today is entitled, What You Must Not Do. What You Must Not Do. Next week, it's going to be What you must do. Lord, as we speak this word to our hearts, let it be anointed by your Holy Spirit. Quicken us, O mighty King. Quicken us, mighty King. I pray in your holy name. Amen. There's a story in Acts the 16th chapter. 
Acts, the 16th chapter. The Apostle Paul is traveling as a traveling preacher. He is not allowed to enter one area, and he waits upon the Lord for direction for where he should go. And as he's waiting for that direction, he has a dream. People of Macedonia, a man from there, crying out, come and preach to us. And so he prepares to go to Macedonia. Now, in Macedonia, conversions begin to happen. The power of the Spirit of God is present. Paul is upset by a little witchcraft woman who keeps crying out after him, this is a man of God, and if you'll listen to it, it was a taunt from the devil. And Paul, finally getting tired of it, turns and commands the evil spirit to leave. And the little girl, now the young woman, is unable to do fortunes for people. And so the men who employed her to tell the fortunes are angry because they've lost their income. So there's a riot that begins to develop. Paul and Silas are beaten with rods. They are put in a prison. Their feet are put in stocks. They are bleeding. They are sore. They are hurting. They can't sleep. So what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. And as they're singing praises to God, suddenly the whole prison is shaken. And they're released. The stocks fall apart. The chains fall off. The doors spring open. The jailer is now in a desperate situation. He has heard much about these men, that they are evil men. That's why they were beaten and put in stocks. But now suddenly, all of the jailer's loyalty switches to Paul and Silas. Now he's ready to kill himself with his sword because he knows the torture and shame he will endure because his prisoners have escaped. So he comes and he falls at Paul and Silas' feet. And in verse 16, In verse 30 of chapter 16, this is Acts 16, verse 30. He cries out, Sirs, what is necessary for me to do that I may be saved? there was not in that day the cultural expectation that you didn't have to do anything to be saved. It was clear there were things you needed to do and things you should not do if you wanted to be saved. Now, this is hard for us, not intellectually, but emotionally, because all of us have had such luxury in America that if we do something wrong, don't worry, we can get out of it. We have a plastic card to pay for the fine. 
We can go to the hospital. We have insurance to cover. We don't need to be concerned. We have a great deal of latitude, one direction and the other. And so there's no clear word in our heart, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do this. Because we live in a permissive age when we can pretty much do whatever we want to do, and there will be no immediate consequences for doing that. So today, I want to begin to speak about this story in terms of not what you must do to be saved, but what you do not do in order to be saved. And the first item we need to look at is that if you are telling yourself there's nothing you need to do in order to be saved, you can be assured you will be lost. And if as soon as someone begins to talk to you about what you need to do and what you should not do, you fall asleep, you're in deep trouble. I know we as Americans don't like to be told what we should or should not do. We're Americans. And one of the great fears I have in this church part of what occupies much of my prayer for this church. Because the Lord has given us revelation of righteousness. We are in great danger of pride. Thinking that we know the truth. I was raised in a denomination. Their cry constantly was, we have the truth. There's nothing more dangerous to the heart of man than thinking we have the truth that we know. Don't try to tell me, I know. Well, knowing never saved one soul. We are not saved by knowing. We are saved by taking very specific steps in meeting the requirements that God has laid down for us in order that we might be saved. So if we neglect those and we begin to walk in pride with a plank in our own eye saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, let me take the plank out of your eye. No, they just have a speck. The plank is in our eye. So if we begin to walk in a way where we trust intellectually what we know about the word, but we don't walk in obedience to meet the requirements of the word. We are self-deceived. There is very much a desperate need for us to meet the expectations of Jesus in order that we be saved. There are requirements. Number two, Do not assume that you are unable to do what God has asked you to do. God is not a hard taskmaster. What he asks us to do is not hard or impossible. And so if I assume that I am unable to do what Jesus has asked me to do, it will lead me to say, look, I can't do it, so Jesus, you have to do it in me. 
Jesus cannot repent for you. Jesus cannot make you say yes to his call on your life. Those are choices you must make. Number three, don't put off your decision. Many people that I talk with, and I say to them, are you walking clean in your heart before Jesus? And they'll answer, I'm trying. And I say to them, what do you mean to, when you say I'm trying, what's that mean? Well, I'm working on it. Well, how long have you been working on it? Well, I've been working on it a long time. Well, when do you think you'll finally be willing to obey what God has asked of you? Well, when I when I get past this hurdle that I'm struggling with, when I have a more secure financial setting, when I when I'm able to deal with my wife or my husband, when I can do this or that, well, wait a minute. Now, God asks us to meet the requirement to make the decision now, not later. I talk to some young people and they say, Pastor, this is my time to sow my wild oats. After I get married, then I'll come to Jesus. After I have my college taken care of, then I'll come to Jesus. But now this is party time for me. Procrastination is the murder of your soul. To put off the requirements of God and not to take seriously what he's speaking to your heart and to make excuses for why you are unable to do what he's asked you to do will cause you to become a murderer of your own soul. God is wanting you today to meet his requirement. If you wait for God to do something in your heart, you are saying that it is God's fault that I walk in sin. That when God gives me the power, I'll say no to sin. That was granted to us at the cross. That's what Jesus did on Calvary. He gave the Christian the power to say no to all sin. The word says that no temptation will come to us except he gives us a way of escape. If there could be a legitimate excuse for sin, it would stop being sin. If there were any excuse for our disobedience or our pride or our arrogance, if there were any true excuse, it would not be sin and God could not charge us. He would be then called a tyrant. He is asking something unreasonable of us. God does not ask anything that is unreasonable. He is kind and just, filled with mercy and compassion, filled with the power 
And all of that was poured, Ephesians, the first chapter, every gift in heaven was poured out for us. There is nothing too hard for God and nothing he is not willing to do to accomplish his purpose of our salvation. I fear that some of you are in a place with God where he cares more about your salvation than you do. Where he's more concerned about you than you are. And I hear some people say, God is not fair. Look how he's blessing that person. Look how he's blessing this person. Just this last week, a man said to me, God is not fair. Look, this pagan man is being blessed with the house and the car and the money. He's being blessed with everything. And here I am, a follower of Jesus, and I don't have anywhere near what he has. God is unfair because he's not giving to me what he's giving to the pagan. My heart broke. I said to this man, you have a desperately wicked heart. You are utterly deceived. We do not serve Jesus so that he will give us finances. We don't serve Jesus so that he'll give us advantages. We serve Jesus to go to the cross and die. We serve Jesus to be made into a new creature. We serve Jesus to be born from above, to be made into a new person. We don't serve Jesus for our advantage. We serve Jesus for his advantage. So today, if you have a sense in your heart of bitterness or anger toward God, because you think he's not been fair with you, know that you've been eating at the devil's table. And you have to repent and turn away from that wickedness. Will God bless you? Absolutely. He will bless you with all that he desires you to have in order to do all of his will with what you have. God is not against wealth, and God is not for wealth. God is for righteousness. He's for holiness. And he's wanting to give to each one of us whatever gifts we need to accomplish the call that he has on our lives. But there's no place in this journey where we are going to become independent operators from him. There's no place in this journey where we're going to have our little cash reserve for our pleasure. It all belongs to Jesus. And I want to tell you, it is joyous to serve Jesus. It is joyous to lay all the issues down. And I would just ask you, I wish I could come to each one of you and look you square in the face and ask this question, but I won't do that today. One day I'm going to. And my question is, Do you have any issues between you and Jesus? Do you have any issues between you and Jesus? Is there any part of your heart turning away from God because you think he has disappointed you? Are you displeased with Jesus 
Are you making any accusations against him? I beg of you today, throw your issues out the door and confess that they have arisen out of a selfish and angry heart. For there can be no true issues with Jesus. He laid his life down on that cross. What can a man do beyond laying his life down and dying for you? You cannot have issues with Jesus and walk in salvation. The devil has issues with Jesus. The devil is the accuser. He is the liar. He is the murderer. He has issues with Jesus. And those issues will finally be settled when he is cast into the lake of fire and all of the issues are going to be burned up. I don't want to be cast into the lake of fire so that my issues will be burned up. I choose to get rid of them now and humble my heart. You see, it's false pride that brings issues to our heart. It's selfishness that brings issues to our heart. Number six. One of the most popular things that I find today as people turn against the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of righteousness, the gospel of entire sanctification is a man or a woman will flee to a refuge of lies. And they will believe it is the truth. Always these lies help them avoid self-denial. Because bottom line, none of us want to walk in self-denial. It goes against everything that is in the human flesh. There can be no salvation without self-denial. And I want to read for you a scripture in Matthew. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Turn with me quickly, please. Matthew 16, I'll begin reading with verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wills to come after me, he must deny himself. And that word deny, literally in the Greek, it means to disown to disown. So Jesus is saying, if anyone wills to come after me, he must disown himself and must take up his cross and must follow me. Well, what is the first cross we must take up? The accusation against God that he's unfair. The accusation against God that he's not treated me the way I deserve to be treated because of my righteousness. No, I have no righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rags. 
I either have the righteousness of Jesus or I don't have any righteousness. For whoever may will to save his life will lose it, but whoever may lose his life for me, for my sake, will find it. For what does it profit a man if he may gain the whole world and may suffer the loss of his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is destined to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his activity. This issue is so very, very difficult. What are we going to do with with Jesus? Now, in a marriage, there are some things that destroy it. There are some things that if you do in a marriage, you will destroy your marriage. And the first and greatest thing that you can do to destroy your marriage is to begin to criticize your wife or your husband. I've heard wives, I've heard husbands scream at one another saying, you always say that. You never, whatever it is. When we begin to criticize a wife or we begin to criticize a husband, we're destroying our marriage. When we begin to criticize God, we're destroying our relationship with God. When we think it's our place to correct We're destroying the relationship. It pains my heart when I hear people pray in a certain manner where they're telling God what he should be doing. When they're giving God orders. Last I checked, we were the servants and God was the was the most high. So it's not for me to tell God what he must do. It's for God to tell me what I must do. We get that reversed. Well, husbands and wives get that reversed too. I think I must tell my wife what she must do. Oh, I'm in trouble. And then when the wife gets mad, why are you mad? All I said is you better start behaving yourself. Why are you why are you so mad? Whoa! She wants to kill him. It breaks the relationship. Friendships are destroyed by criticism. One of the lessons I learned very early in marriage was that if I had a fault to find with my wife, I'd better not tell her. I'd better go to Jesus and talk to him. And if Jesus wanted to change her, it was his job to change her. It was not my job to change her. 
It was not my job to set her straight. It was God's job to set her right. And as I would pray and pray and pray, generally what happened is God lifted a mirror up before my eyes and I began to see that God was trying to straighten me out. Criticism. Another another thing that will just destroy a marriage and it will destroy a relationship with God is name-calling. How can you be so stupid? I thought you were smarter than that. Numbskull. You know, didn't you ever learn anything when you were growing up? Would you please just grow up? Oh, I hear husbands say this to their wives. And I hear wives saying that to their husband. When are you going to stop being a boy? I didn't marry a boy. I wanted a man. Can you be a man? When are you going to take responsibility and do what you're supposed to do? I haven't been in your bedroom. If this shoe fits, put it on quickly. When we begin to call God names, we begin to destroy our relationship with him. When we begin to call him a tyrant, when we begin to call him unfair, when we begin to call God names, we destroy our relationship with God. There is one thing in marriage that is the absolute poison to a marriage. And that is stonewalling. You know what stonewalling is? And I have to confess, I've done this with God. In my immaturity, I said to God, I'm not going to talk to you anymore if you're going to treat me this way. And so for the next day, I didn't talk to God. I didn't pray. I was silent. And I finally, my heart broke. Because I felt his love. I felt his wooing. I felt his call. But I was stone cold. I'm not going to talk to you anymore, God. You're unfair. And I began to call him names. If that course of behavior continues, over a period of time, and I turn away from God in my rage and my anger, I will break my fellowship with Jesus. In a relationship between a husband and a wife, between friends, if I say I'm not going to talk to you anymore, if you're going to treat me that way, I'm done. And I've talked to some couples where they've not talked to each other for a week or a month. House is stony cold. As a pastor, I've gone in to visit couples and home visitation. Felt like I walked into a refrigerator. And of course, I immediately said to the couple, hey guys, what's going on? It feels like a refrigerator in here. Are you guys mad at each other? Did I walk into the middle of a fight? Or is this a fight that took place last week and you're just still mad? And generally it breaks. All right, pastor. 
We haven't been talking. Why haven't you been talking? Well, she did. And she said, and I'm mad. Any of you like living in a refrigerator? Any of you stonewalling your husband or your wife or your friends or family? Treat me that way, I'm gone. Cut you off, I'm out. I'm not going to call you. If you call me, I won't answer. Pick up the the phone's buzzing, you pick it up. Oh, not going to answer you. God comes knocking on your heart. And you say to yourself, with the way you're treating me, God, I'm not going to answer. Stonewalling God. I wish I could come around and ask each one of you face to face, are you mad with God today? Or is your heart open and soft toward heaven? When he points out what you're doing that breaks your relationship, is your heart open and soft and you say quickly, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do that. I don't want to break our relationship. I need you, Jesus. I love you. Let's let's just get that out of my heart now, Jesus. I submit it to you, please. Just remove it from me. I'm done. What would happen in the middle of a fight if you go to your spouse and you say, Honey, I don't like this. We're hurting each other. I don't want to hurt you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. The fight's done. Are you, are you ready to let the fight go? You know where fights come from, don't you? When you don't get your way. And you're so filled with pride that you think they're right, or you're right and they're wrong. How did you decide that? Did you decide that based on what you want? Or do you decide based on what you know Jesus wants? This man came and he knelt before Paul and Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? Now, in our culture, the devils had time to develop all kinds of strategies to obstruct the simple question, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? There's every diversion. There's every entertainment. It's like the days of Rome when when everybody constantly went and got the tickets to go Watch the gladiators. You wouldn't watch the gladiators? Oh, but you will on television, right? No. But you see, in the days of Rome, there were the circuses. There was the big public spectacles of food. There were the baths. There were the the workout rooms. There was every fleshly pleasure was available in Rome. 
The same is true right now in America. And we have to cut through all of that nonsense, even in the church, where you've got the band cranking and you've got the entertainment going, you've got the smoke machines going, you've got the the strobe lights moving, you've got the action, you've got the jokes, you've got the pastor who's the entertainer. We've got to cut through all of that nonsense and say, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? How can I save my family? If you're married today, you know that the first responsibility of your life is to bring your wife or your husband to Jesus. If you go to heaven, and at the judgment bar of God, Jesus says to you, where is the wife I gave you? Well, Jesus, I was really mad at her. She just wouldn't obey me. She wouldn't do what I wanted, Jesus. So I got mad at her. I called her names. Did you act superior to her? Well, yes, I am superior. She's dumb. What's Jesus going to say to you? Or vice versa? Women wouldn't talk that way, would they? Would they? If I flee to a refuge of lies that I'm the man and I'm in charge and the world must conform to what I want and I deny that I am but a humble servant of the Lord, I'm in trouble. See, my first responsibility is to make sure that all of you arrive in heaven. And I am called to prayer. I'm called to counseling. I'm called to act in every way the Holy Spirit calls me to ensure that you have the best possible opportunity to say yes to Jesus and meet the requirements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you've heard today what I'm saying, that in all of this mix, there are many things that we must not do if we want to go to heaven. We haven't even started talking about what's necessary in order to meet the requirements. But before we're ready to even begin to meet the requirements, we have to honestly answer, are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to lay your life down and learn what Jesus wants of you and what he wants to make of you? Or is your heart filled with pride? You think you're right. You think you're cool. 
You're going to fight for what you want. You're going to fight to get what you must have. Then you are already hidden in a refuge of lies, and you have turned away from the Lord Jesus. And you've grieved his Holy Spirit from your life. How are you with Jesus today? Do you have issues with Jesus today? Do you have issues with other people today? Are you angry with anyone? Have you condemned anyone? Do you feel superior to anyone? Are you saying in your heart, if they would just do what I know they should do, everything would be okay? I ask today that you lay your issues down. That you get in the prayer closet and you put your face on the floor. And you bring every issue before Jesus. And you stay there until all the bitterness and anger has drained away. And Jesus has removed it from your heart. And instead, in humility, you can ask Jesus, what do you want to do in this situation? All grudges, all bitterness, we have to bring it and lay it down in the prayer closet. All unforgiveness, we bring it and lay it down in the prayer closet. I want you to leave today light as a feather. No burdens because you've brought them all to Jesus. And you've said, Jesus, I give them to you. I'm not going to carry this burden any longer. I trust you, Jesus. I belong to you. Now teach me the way of righteousness. Teach me what I must do. And God's peace will come into your heart. And you'll get quiet before Jesus. And when you're quiet before Jesus, you can hear him speak to you. And I can tell you today, he will not call you names. He will not criticize you. He will not condemn you. He'll put his arms around you. And he'll say, come on, let's go home. Now, some of you in this room are carrying gaping wounds in your soul. You've been wounded by others. You've been wounded by your own actions. As you walk with Jesus, those wounds are healed. You cannot go to the devil and ask him to heal the wounds of your heart. He will only fill the wounds with poison. 
Jesus is the healer. He is the one who restores us. He is the good shepherd. So lay your issues down today. song of him could sing like the woman at the well and the blind man made to see if joined in mighty chorus by the cripple and the lame this is what their words might be as they sing their sweet refrain I will praise Him forever For all He's done for me For the blood He shed at Calvary That I could still go free For His mercy and His saving grace Extend it unto me I will praise Him forever For all He's done for me While walking down the dead end road No light, no hope could see I was ruined by a life of sin Chains and fetters binding me Oh, but then I heard the message For God so loved the world Now I have peace and joy within So let the flag of praise unfurl Praise Him forever For all He's done for me For the blood He shed at Calvary That I could still go free For His mercy and His saving grace Extended unto me I will praise Him forever He shed at Calvary That I could still go free For His mercy and His saving grace Extended unto me I will praise Him forever 
for all he's done for me, for his mercy and his saving grace extended unto me. I will praise him forever, for all he's done for me. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory With great joy Jesus Christ.